Hey, Foreclosure Fix family. My name is DJ Lojo, and welcome to the Foreclosure Fix podcast, where our goal is to help 1 million homeowners successfully navigate foreclosure. If that mission resonates with you, please do us a favor, like and subscribe and tell a friend so that way we can help more homeowners. I am excited about our guest today. It's my friend, Chris Seventy. Chris is a commercial construction expert. He has a master's in real estate from Georgetown, but most importantly, he is committed to helping borrowers come to win-win resolutions. He is the founder and manager of 70 uh, Mortgage Note Investment Fund, and he's just an all-around good guy. Chris, welcome to our podcast today. How you doing? I'm doing great, DJ. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today. No, I appreciate you. And I think you can bring so much value to our listeners. How about you do me a favor and, and give our listeners a little bit of background around how you and your company and your experience kind of intersects with people in foreclosure? So back in 2017, I started investing in mortgage notes, which we act as the lender or we buy borrowers mortgage from other lenders Typically, we buy non-performing loans, which are those borrowers who are behind on their payments with the goal to try and create that win-win situation with borrowers to try and get them on a new payment plan or some type of resolution with the primary focus to try and keep the borrowers in their home if it's possible. Awesome. Awesome. And I think you just hit on something that, that I really want to highlight and that's really important is I think a lot of times when borrowers hear that they're mortgage has changed hands or they have been delinquent, they automatically think that somebody wants their house. Talk a little bit more about the mindset that you and your company have and most people in the space have and most companies in the space have around distressed debt or around foreclosure. Yeah. So I spent 20 years in real estate and I've owned real estate. We joke, if we're buying a mortgage, we're buying it because we want to be the lender. We don't want to be the property owner. And that's a lot of lenders' mottos in the sense of, you know, they want to be the lender. They're not built to be managed real estate or they may not want to manage real estate. So their focus is being the lender on that loan and working with the borrower to try and get them, again, on some type of payment plan or work with them to modify or forbearance to keep them in that property because that is our primary focus. And most people we speak with that are in this industry know that is their focus as well. So if I hear you correctly, what you're saying is that the myth that homeowners have that the bank just wants their house is truly a real myth. It's not just something fictional that, that people say. Yeah, it's probably furthest from the truth. Now, the bank has the ability to, of course, take the home based off of you know the mortgage, but that's not what their desired outcome is. And in most instances, it actually costs the bank more money to foreclose on a property and sell it than it does to work out some type of arrangement with a borrower. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more for our listeners? Because I think that, that that's, a, that's a really hot button for a lot of people, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when a loan is in distress, you know, a borrower is behind on a payment. And I want to be clear as well. If you're 30 or 60 days behind on a mortgage, you know, that's not a place you, of course, want to be. But typically, 
the lender is not going to be coming knocking on your door, basically throwing you out and foreclosing. Foreclosing, it's a process, depending on the state, that can take a period of time. And when these loans are in default, the banks will want to get them off their books and they may sell them at a discount. Similar to like buying a piece of real estate that needs to be repaired, it might sell at a discount. So when these are sold on the secondary market, when they're bought, the because they might be bought at some type of discount, that lender has more flexibility to work with the borrower on some type of arrangement, which is typically a repayment plan to get them back on track, to bring them current. And then if that occurs later on down the line, they may, again, repackage that loan and sell it. And they might be able to sell it at a premium from what they bought it for back out onto the market, which is where they can make their money. Okay. So you said a couple things that our listeners may not totally understand, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so let, let, I want to rewind yeah. and back up because yeah. I know that we have listeners from all age groups, all demographics, all backgrounds. And so I want to make sure everybody's tracking with this. You talked about buying a loan at a discount, right? Mm-hmm. And so why would a bank sell a loan at a discount, right? Help, help, help our listeners understand that. Yeah. So I'll use numbers as an example, because that's the better way for me. If you owe $100,000 on your mortgage and you're not paying on that mortgage, that mortgage, even though you owe 100000 the bank may not value it at that price because the bank you know, has to do a lot of work to try and get that person back on a payment plan. You know, and again, this is probably a little dirty secret that most people don't know. So the bank may sell that loan not for 100000 but they may sell it for less. Now, that doesn't mean that the borrower owes less money. They still owe that same amount of money, but it's kind of a behind the scenes, like a backdoor deal of when it gets sold. And, you know, 50% of all mortgages in this country get sold back and forth. So this isn't like, you know, you're, it's a unique experience. I don't know if that answered it a little better, but no, that definitely answered it, Chris. You know, I, I love dirty secrets, so so please keep them coming, right? So you said a couple things. One, you said that it sounds like a bank is willing to sell a loan that is considered non-performing or in pre-foreclosure because they don't want to deal with it. That's the first thing I think I heard. The other thing that I know about and that a lot of people talk about is a thing called headline risk, right? Where a bank doesn't want to foreclose because it gives them a bad reputation and they're worried about that headline risk. Help our listeners understand kind of what that is and also why that is factored into the discount of mortgage note. Headline risk is the last thing anybody wants to do is be on the front page of you know, I'll call it an internet website, you know, going old school newspaper, which I still used to read, but, you know, I use the proverbial newspaper of, you know, doing something negative. And there's been some very large institutions that I'm not going to name them, but they have done certain things that where they were foreclosing in certain areas of the country, they may have acted in discriminatory, you know, they were accused or you know paid fines for some discriminatory activity against you know certain classes. So that's something that everyone is very aware of. And again, with the banks, they don't want to 
be the headline news or be the story or be somebody digging too deep into what they are or are not doing properly. For example, foreclosing on a borrower who's been, you know, attempting to work something out and provided all the information, but just not giving them a response. That happens a lot with larger institutions that I've seen or I've heard, I should say, heard occur in the past with some of these larger banks that it takes a lot of time to process the information and the loan just keeps getting behind to a point where it's too far behind. As an example, a borrower is, you know, four months behind on a payment and they lost their job. But, you know, it takes the bank and then they get their job back. But the bank is like, oh, you need to make all the payments to us. And it takes them five months to do that. Now, all of a sudden, they may have had the four, but now that number is back to nine. Well, and and I think that is a, a huge point and I think a sticking point for a lot of borrowers. They reach out to their servicer and they're mm-hmm. asking for help. They're asking for a loan modification. They're asking for a forbearance. But the timeline to get a response, the timeline to submit all the documents, the timeline to actually get closure on whatever request they ask for is very, very long. And their situation kind of gets worse. It's almost like a wound where, you know, it needs a stitch, a couple of stitches, mm-hmm. but you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then it gets infected. Then it, it becomes like a snowball effect. So mm-hmm. you talked about the big lenders, but you have smaller lenders like yourself. So what are some of the differences that you all have versus other folks? And where does it benefit the homeowner? Having a smaller lender is, to me personally, such a better situation for a borrower because smaller lenders can pay attention to every loan and understand when you have millions of loans, you know, you're just a number. For us who have hundreds to thousand loans, it's very easy for somebody to pull that file, speak with, you know, we use a servicer, speak with that borrower. And communication is so important for both parties involved in this. And get on communication, whether it's phone or email, work out the resolve, which typically can be a forbearance plan, which a forbearance plan is, you know, all legal action gets stopped. And it's usually a three to six month process where if you can make payments during those three to six months, then we will modify, which is change the terms of the loan based on agreed upon terms to keep that person in the property. And on a small lender like ourselves, we can do that process in days where a institutional lender can, will take, or typically will take months. So... There are varying degrees of lenders and there's varying degrees of servicers. And when I say varying degrees, I mean different sizes from small to large people who service and own a thousand loans, the people who service and own hundreds of thousands, if not millions of loans. And Mm -hmm. so the timeline between a servicer that has thousands of loans versus a servicer that has millions of loans to get things done is going to vary drastically. Mm -hmm. 
help our listeners understand with a real life example of, of what a workout would look like. So if I'm a homeowner and I'm in distress and I really want to keep my house, I don't want to sell it. I'm tired of getting postcards from investors. I'm tired of people calling me, asking me if they can buy my house. I want to keep my house, right? Help me understand kind of what a workout would look like, what I should understand or, or what I should be willing to bring forward to have a resolution that's going to allow me to save my home. So the key is part of this is, you know, making sure first for, you know, I'll say a borrower is make sure you understand your current financial position. And if you can't, or, you know, you don't truly understand what, you know, is required, find somebody who can help you. That's the first thing because the servicer is, it, which, you know, represents the lender who collects the payments is going to ask for a lot of information. It's called a workout package is typically what it is. And what they, it's almost like you're reapplying for a loan. So they will ask for your prior tax returns, bank statements, your pay stubs, you know, just as if you're getting a loan and putting all that together and giving them, you know, when they ask for it, say, okay, I will get this to you within two weeks. And then, you know, stick to your word on that. And that's one thing that every lender and servicer want is somebody who can commit to something and make it work. Do not overcommit to something, you know, put in realistic timeframes. One week versus two weeks is not going to make the difference. You know, so you'll take two weeks to put that package together. The lender servicer will receive that information and they will typically on the larger institutions take two to four weeks to review that and get back to you and let you know, okay, we can approve a forbearance plan or we can you know, modify the loan. They'll have some type of terms that they'll usually kind of dictate within that. But you know, I always recommend to every borrower, also be proactive and talk to the servicer and say, what are they thinking? You know, can we do a, you know, that forbearance or you know, can I, we stop this to give me a chance to make those payments up? And then after that file gets reviewed, there's some paperwork that has to get involved, which will have a little bit of back and forth that will send you to sign, which may take, again, another two to four weeks. So you said a few things there that I want to rewind on because I think there are some salient points you hit. The first thing I heard is that you have to reach out to your lender, right? So your lender and servicer have been reaching out to you. They send you statements. But if you need help, you need to reach out to them and say, this is my situation. So there sounds like there needs to be some active communication and dialogue. The, the, the second thing I heard that stuck out to me was that there is a process in place. And as a borrower, you have to be prepared to follow through on that process. Correct. Yep. All right. The last thing I heard is that if you don't hear back during the process, or if things are changing on your end as the borrower in the process, you need to proactively communicate that because the process is not completed until all the paperwork is signed. Correct. And think about it this way. When you're behind, how often were, was that lender calling you for payments? Flip the script on them. 
<laughs> you know, call them every other day saying, I got the paperwork, what's going on? You know how it feels to get called twice a day or, you know, once every day for a week. Flip the script on them because they'll look into file and, ba and basically like, we got to get this resolved because I'm tired of this person calling me every day. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Like you, you want to blow up their phone line, right? You want to call them multiple times. You want a resolution. And, and, and that's the goal. I, I think that lenders want to the misconception that everybody just wants your house is not the case. But I think that what Chris is trying to articulate is that people may want to get to a resolution, but if they're not willing to put in the work on their end, a resolution is not going to happen. Correct. You, it's right. got to be a, you know, a two-way, you know, call it the two-way street where both sides have to be open with each other and communicate with each other. As a lender, the biggest challenge we have with working out a loan is when the borrower does not communicate. If the borrower does not communicate or respond, that forces our hand into going down that legal process that nobody wants to go down because it just incurs cost that both parties eventually will end up having to pay. Totally understand that. Now, can you give us an example of a successful workout that you've completed before? Yes. First, I'll say, you know, from a percentage standpoint, 90% of loans that we buy delinquent probably end up in some type of workout compared to, you know, 10% end up, you know, going down a legal process. That also includes borrowers who may be deceased or no longer wanted the property. So the other kind of comment before I mention about the workouts is, you know, sometimes the media overinflates the number of foreclosures and how everyone's getting foreclosed. It's actually, you know, the numbers are pretty small that that actually happens to. Successful workout we've done, a typical loan, and I've got one thinking in my head, the borrower was about 18 months behind because of a divorce and job loss. They got back on their feet, got a better job, and wanted to try and catch up on the payments. And what we uh, did with that borrower, and I'm just going to use simple numbers of the payment was $1,000 per month. We asked them to put a down payment down of, I think it was about $2,500 down to show that they were you know, willing to work with us on that. And as part of a workout, expect to you know, be able to give a little bit more than one payment to show some seriousness. And then the, after that, we did what's called a forbearance. So again, all legal was stopped to give them a six-month window. And if they made payments during those six months, we took all those payments that were behind and dropped them at the bottom, back of the loan. So it would then make their loan. So they put, gave us a down payment. They made six consecutive payments to us. And then we modified, contractually modified the loan and pushed all those payments to the end of the loan, which in credit terms makes you on your credit report now shows your loan is back being current, which is important because when you're behind on your mortgage, your credit score, of course, will continue to go down, which hurts you in the ability to refinance. But by getting those six payments, 
bringing the loan current, then if they make another six or so payments, you know, then they might be eligible later on to try and refinance if they can get better interest rates in the future. Wow. So I think that's a, a nugget and a bomb you just dropped on us, right? So two things. One is that if a borrower is even 18 months behind on their payments, there's still hope for them. It's not, oh, I'm losing my house. I'm too far behind. There's still hope. There's still opportunity. Number two is if you do a forbearance and they add the payments to the back of your loan, now your loan shows current on your credit report, right? And so it's almost like you get a fresh start to try to reset your life, your financial situation, and ultimately, you know, your financial future. Yep. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, Chris, I think it's time for, for, for my favorite part of the podcast, uh, which is the opportunity to go into the bow tie round. And basically, the bow tie round is where we get to tie one on with our guest, Chris. All right. The B is for the best advice you would give someone in foreclosure. The O is for one thing you're grateful for right now. And W is for the wildest, most interesting foreclosure story that you have. All right. So, so, so let's tie one on, Chris. What is your best advice for someone in foreclosure? Yeah, my best advice, and we touched upon it during this episode, is communicate with the servicer. And if there's things you don't understand, find a family member, a friend who can help you. When people go into defaults, they get a sense of like they're scared, they're embarrassed, they feel like they've let somebody down. And we all feel that emotion, you know, because you feel like you may have failed at something. This is not the time to do that. This is a time to seek assistance from those who are closest to you to try and help. And it may not be get them giving you money, but them helping you understand the situation so you can understand because the servicer with some of these comments and the paper they request might be overwhelming for you. So, and if you don't understand something, please ask the question because the servicer is there to help you. Their goal is if they're work trying to do a forbearance, a modification, that means they want to get that deal done. What is one thing that you are grateful for right now? Yep. I am grateful for my family and our health. You know, it's something that, you know, in our past, I had some family members who have had health issues and just having a loving, caring family that is there to support us. So that's something that I'm so thankful for every day. Man, you could not have said that any better. I had a, a colleague who, who died yesterday or actually on Sunday. And we're recording this podcast in late June, but I, I, I just to be alive and, and to have support is a blessing in and of itself. So regardless of what situation or where you find yourself, you know, having a family, being alive is, is a tremendous blessing. And I echo your sentiments 100 percent. The last part, man, is what is your wildest or most interesting foreclosure related story, man? We, we want a good one, Chris. I mean, we could record a whole nother podcast on this. I've had, you know, mold houses, houses burned down. I think my wildest one was when we had a deceased borrower show up in courts. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I figured that would, uh, you know, say what would go on. So we had a property where the borrower had passed away and we couldn't find any of the family members. So we had, you know, legal start the foreclosure process. And as part of that, they have to like notify and post and, you know, try and find all, you know, family members. And there was a son who had the same name as the father and, you know, basically showed up in for, the, the, you know, in this state, you have to have a hearing as well. So the son showed up to the hearing saying he was the father, saying he was the borrower. And my attorney was just completely like threw him for a curveball at first. And we didn't realize it at first because we had a death certificate. We had, you know, all the, in, you know, this person, you know, we have a death certificate and this person showing up saying he's this person in court. And then finally, you know, realize, okay, it's the son. And we ended up actually doing a workout with the family um, and getting it through probate and doing the workout. But yeah, my attorney called me and said, in the note, said the borrower showed up to court. And I'm like, okay, I kind of, you know, it just, I just sitting there like, how did the borrower, sh- you know, show up in court? So, hey, you know, it's interesting because foreclosure makes the dead rise again. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, it works out. It works out, man. Well, Chris, uh, we are so grateful for, for you joining our podcast today and for you sharing this great advice with, with borrowers. It is so important that people are communicating with their servicers and that if you are in some type of financial distress, that, that you seek help from folks around you who you, who you can trust and who, who love you and want to support you. Chris, do us a favor and tell our listeners how they can get in contact with you or get in touch with you and, and keep up with, with your journey. Yeah, the best is you can check out information on our website, 7einvestments.com. We also have a podcast called Creating Wealth Simplified. In our first 100 episodes, actually, we're talking about our stories in note investing and some of those crazy stories we have. But our current podcast really talks to people about investing and continuing the the journey to save money and to grow and to build wealth so people have the ability to retire. I like to call it the 40-40-40 rule, which you know nobody wants to work 40 years or 40 hours a week only to retire with 40% of their income because you will never retire in that instance. So we like to share tidbits and information on ways to try and save and build that what generational wealth. Awesome. Awesome. And I can attest that, you know, the, the Creating Wealth Some Five podcast is a great podcast. And the podcast that was before that, that you mentioned, Chris, definitely there are episodes that talk all about amazing foreclosure stories and just, just really kind of good workouts and resolutions. So this wraps another episode of the Foreclosure Fix podcast. Do us a favor, please like, subscribe, and leave us a review. We would love to get your feedback, love to get your comments, and we are so grateful for you being a part of the Foreclosure Fix family. We love you. God bless. Thanks. The views and opinions on this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. If you have a specific legal question, we highly recommend you contact a qualified legal professional.